Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio episode number 186. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are finally, finally discussing 2014's Guardians of the Galaxy. It's kind of strange that it took 186 episodes to get here because Guardians meant so much in the MCU. Um, it meant so much in Phase 2 of the MCU and getting us to Infinity War and Endgame. But we are finally here to discuss it. Yes, and with Cosmic Rewind opening soon, this was just a natural choice for this week. Yeah, Cosmic Rewind, which so many of our friends have test-ridden, they've loved it. We have not been able to get on them yet because, you know, lack of APs. But we have more on that conversation if you go listen to this week's Dockside chat. We'll put it in the show notes. We did have an opportunity... Um, to go to the D23 Gold member preview event. But these D23 events are just selling out so quickly. It literally didn't even slip through our fingers. We never even got a hand on it. But I, I will say that I appreciate that they did something like that for those that are in APs. Forget the fact that they're even not on sale. Right. If you live out of state and you wanted to plan your trip around writing Cosmic Rewind and you are a D23 member... I think that was a really fair way to go about it and give other people an opportunity to try and ride it. A hundred percent. And they gave, like, there was a gift that night. It was a really nice Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind print, matted print with the D23 logo. Like, D23, from what I could tell, knocked the event out of the park, and I really wish we could have been there. But we're just going to have to wait a little bit longer And hopefully the APs come soon and we can get to Epcot and we can get on Cosmic Rewind. Uh, I've done Mission Breakout at Disneyland. Um, It is the most fun ride. Not the best ride, but it's the most fun ride that I've ever been on on a Disney property. It just leaves me laughing and giggling like a fool uncontrollably. I expect nothing less of Cosmic Rewind. That really is a testament to how good it is because the first time you rode Mission Breakout, uh, I was waiting outside because I'm a big chicken and Stan Lee passed. You were in the queue yep. when Stan Lee passed away. So perhaps not the most lighthearted moment, but if you found the joy in it, good for you. I did. Do we find the joy in Guardians of the Galaxy Does the movie still bring us joy? Did it always bring us joy? Because not everybody loved it the first time around. I knew I was not getting away with that. That is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms, ornaments, and personalized photo nightlights. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Hidden Mickey Supply Co. on Instagram and Etsy to stay up to date with all of the new releases. Now, like most MCU films and Star Wars films, because they get so convoluted, this is going to be a linear review. On Earth in 1988, a young Peter Quill is heartbroken when his mother passes away. When he runs out of the hospital clutching the gift his mother gave him before dying, he is abducted by an alien spacecraft. I have to stop there. Um... Because this is such an incredible moment in this film as 
fast as it happens, it's beautifully sad and unsettling. The child actor that plays the young Peter Quill is incredible. Everything about this scene, they knocked out of the park. I think this is arguably the darkest open of any MCU film. Yes. Um, perhaps only rivaled by Black Widow, but I think that has more to do with the song being so haunting. I mean, we know she has a very tragic background, obviously, but we don't see it play out in the moment quite like this. We see the flashback to her childhood and then we see a montage of some of her training, but I still don't think it's quite as dark as this. Uh, and, and one of the things that really struck me uh, doing the rewatch is that it's not only sad because he's losing his mother and, you know, obviously, like you said, part of that is a credit to the child actor because you really just feel for this kid. Um, what gets me now is seeing all of the family members surrounding his mother. This is clearly a big loving family. So he's not just letting her go, but when he gets abducted, he has to leave all of them behind as well. It does. And it had been a while since we had seen this, um, because we, we just watched it so much when it came out on DVD and Blu-ray that once Disney plus came around and we really started deep diving, this was one that kind of, fell to the back burner just by virtue of there's an oversaturation of content. I didn't realize at the time and had forgotten just how much of the sequel they plant in the first two minutes of this movie. Well, I think that's it. That goes right over your head the first time you see it. But now knowing what the sequel is, they do mention his father quite a bit. Yeah. Even Yondu does. Yeah. And then they do, they reference it again at the end. So they plant the sequel, they pepper it throughout the movie, but they certainly are heavy handed with it in the beginning. Years later on Morag, an adult Peter listens to his Walkman and steals an orb. He also goes by Star Lord, and during his retrieval of the orb, is attacked by soldiers of Ronan the Accuser of the Kree as he too is pursuing the orb. I love this intro for Star-Lord. Who doesn't? It's It almost rivals the Jack Skellington and Captain Jack intros. I'll go so far as to say I think it... I'm not going to say it rivals it, but I'm going to say it's pretty close. Actually, that was going to be my question for you. I think this is a toss-up for the best intro in the MCU between this and Deadpool. But going up against Deadpool... You still think it's this one? Yeah. Uh, I I go back and forth, but my point is it is the perfect marriage of character and song. I think the songs are what put it puts it over the top in both cases. Um, I think Deadpool, there's so much going on with the shock value. But here we learn so much about the character because we don't really know that much. We know the backstory. We know something tragic happened to him as a child. We see how he reacts to it. But this is where the character really starts to develop. Even from something as little as him, you know, punting the little lizard creature and then using it as a microphone. Uh, It's so snarky. It's fantastic. I, I love this sequence, and I absolutely love the set of Morag. The world building is incredible. It truly is. 
Um, the set is great. The CGI is great. I mean, we we are not afraid to hammer a film, especially a Disney film, when the CGI is bad. But I'll just go ahead and say this now. I think the CGI and the special effects and the world building throughout this entire film are almost flawless. Really, it is. But it has to be. Because just by virtue of having Rocket and Groot full CGI characters, it, if you miss, you're going to miss bad. Right. And they took that very seriously. They and did. poor Barit. Poor Barit that <laughs> Peter forgot that she was in there. She's lucky that she even made it out of that escape. Again, great character development that he's got a girl and just totally forgets her. Back on his ship, Yondu of the uh, of the Ravagers is furious to see that Quill has taken the orb and run because they were supposed to go after it together. So he puts a bounty on his head. Ronan, meanwhile, learns that Quill has stolen the orb for a broker after he promised he would retrieve it for Thanos. So he sends Thanos' daughters, Gamora and Nebula, to Xandar to find Peter Quill. On Xandar, Rocket and Groot pursue Quill for the bounty while Gamora pursues him for the orb. After chaos uh, ensues, the four are arrested and taken to prison by the Nova Corps. They are taken to the kiln. Um, In terms of introductions continuing to be very strong, it happens here in this sequence... Starting with Ronan. Yes. This is an incredibly brutal open, an incredibly brutal intro for Ronan as you literally see him smash somebody's head with a hammer. I don't have much to elaborate on because that is exactly what I was going to say. What I will say, though, is admittedly, I sort of forgot about this open, which is a shame because it it is... Even Thanos doesn't come out swinging quite like this. Thanos was just such a slow burn to build to the big bad. Uh, But Ronan just out of the gate. The only thing I wish they would have done, I feel like they cut out of it too fast. And it's very dark. I mean, it doesn't take away from the fact that he's smashing someone's head open. Uh, But I think that's why it's sort of forgettable because... There's such a quick cut out of this scene and the set is is not lit well. No, well, I shouldn't say well. It's just not bright. You can't really see what's going on. It's a dark set. It's very dark alien blood. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a tough... It, it is tough to make it out. I, I find it tougher to make it out actually watching it at home. Yes. See, when we watched... When we saw it in the movie theaters on the big screen... I found it was easier to make out, and I don't think that has to do with the color settings of the television. I think you're just No, taking... they're perfect. Yes, they are. I think you're just taking a very detailed picture, even on a 65-inch screen, and you're cramming it down, and it's just so much smaller that you do lose a little bit of the detail. No, and it's such a surprise to even have a note on something like that because they took such care of heavy contrast in these scenes you know they really paid attention to detail as far as if the set was dark make the aliens pop off of it right uh or in the case of morag you've got you know a really jaggedy almost star wars-esque sort of planet uh well it has been decimated obviously uh but then when you get to the ruins you've got all this beautiful detail and 
you know, everything's sort of, uh, it's like gold leafed almost. Right. So I'm just surprised that there wasn't something. I mean, I know this is like our villain's lair, so to speak, but I'm just surprised that there wasn't uh, a little bit more contrast in this set. Yeah, and Ronan is such a good villain. You forget how good a villain he is, you know, because once everything builds to Thanos, he's one that I think kind of unjustly gets forgotten about. Yes. Um. You know, something else, talking about great introductions, Yondu, never did I think that we would ever grow to love Yondu because you just assume that he's going to be another villain in the movie that Quill has to defend himself against. It's another ad. I mean, he is an adversary, but you assume he's going to be another villain. I disagree, actually. I loved him from the jump and not just because he's played by Michael Rooker, which we'll get into. Um... I kind of thought of him as a Jack Sparrow type of character where you immediately like him. You just don't know if you can trust him yet. And and you can't. We do go back and forth quite a bit with Yondu, but I kind of always felt like he would end up on the right side of it. Talk about great intros. They just keep on coming with these. Groot and Rocket. Yes. The two of them together. I love how they are introduced because... When you, f- when you first, before you even see them, you're seeing Xandar through Rocket's eyes while he just insults everything around him. I would seriously watch two hours of Bradley Cooper just doing this voiceover commentary. The two of them are scene stealers from the start. In spite of the fact that Groot can really only say, I am Groot, there's so much chemistry. Like... Even though all he can say is, I am Groot, and that is a testament to Vin Diesel, too, the way that he emotes it, you get a fully fleshed out character in three words. It's incredible. Admittedly, this is where the film almost lost me the first time I saw it, because I had no idea about anything Guardians going in. Uh, And as far as the MCU to this point, I really liked the sci-fi films. I mean, I love Iron Man. I love Captain America. Uh, I I even love the Hulk story, although some of those movies were not so great. But I tend to gravitate towards the believable science behind it. So now when you introduce these two characters that are completely CGI, that I have no idea what their story is, I thought we were delving a little bit too much into fantasy and it almost lost me for a split second but the intro is just so strong and so funny I was just like all right I'm I'm on board with whatever this is yeah and then you get a classic Disney snatch and grab with this orb it is incredibly fast paced in this scene and it, it took a couple of watches to figure out everyone's stake chasing yeah. this thing around right because Quill is trying to sell it to the broker who no longer wants it because he found out that Ronan is pursuing it and he hates Zendarians. Gamora is trying to get it to double-cross Ronan. And Rocket and Groot are just trying to get the bounty that Yondu put on Quill. Exactly. It's so good. It's so good. Yes. I mean, aside from the fact that we get everyone's motivation crystal clear, 
the way I mean, it's it's perfect, right? The way this thing is designed, the stone is in this metal ball, so it's it's gonna roll. It's gonna be very easy to lose uh, and very easy to hide. And it would have been enough if they just did hand to hand combat, which is really Gamora's thing because she's the assassin. But just when you think the fight is over. Rocket comes out with the big guns and starts tasing people. The whole thing is hilarious. Yeah, it is. At Nova Corps headquarters, the Kree declare no alliance to Ronin and leave him to be the problem of the Xandarians. At the kiln, Gamora tells Rocket that her plan was to betray Ronin and sell the orb to a third party. At the prison, most of the inmates are aiming to kill Gamora as payback to Ronan because Ronan has decimated so many other planets. When they try to kill her, Drax the Destroyer intercepts to kill her himself to get vengeance for his wife and daughter who were killed by Ronan. But Gamora tells them that she has no allegiance to Ronan or Thanos, and Quill convinces him to keep her alive to basically use as bait to get to Ronan. Rocket and Quill, meanwhile, want to keep her alive to sell the orb to that third party, and they all agree that they're going to split the money equally. I remember the first trailer that we saw for Guardians of the Galaxy was basically... I'd I'd say half the trailer was them at the kiln getting kind of like checked in to prison. The arrest rundown. Yeah, hooked on a feeling. Great song choice. It, it is. Um and the set is incredible, but it's it's funny how I go to the trailer before I go to anything else because with the trailer to the point you made earlier, we didn't know Personally, we did not know an awful lot about the Guardians of the Galaxy. And I remember just thinking, what the hell is this when we saw that trailer with a talking tree and a talking raccoon and a green alien and the guy from Parks and Rec? You know, like, (laughs) you just... It was it was shocking. It was a shocking trailer. No, you really didn't know what to make of it. But now with more context, this scene is actually really great character development because... They've just been arrested. You know they've all got a stake in this orb. And the way that they're reacting to being captured, they're so nonchalant about it. Like, they all know they're going to get out. So to see that cockiness as they're going through, particularly with Quill's gesture. Yeah. uh, And even Groot, you know, just looking into the camera, sizing them up. uh, It really is great development to show that they're not going to take anything from anyone. And this is probably my favorite scene in this whole film it's really good and what i love here is how they flesh out gamora's intentions because up to this point i'm not going to say that her intro was weak but there was so much mystery around her that like you really couldn't flesh her out all that much right um so i love how in this moment where she's been arrested you don't know who she is you don't know if you can trust her how, but you obviously know she's going to be a protagonist, but you're not sure exactly how they're going to get them there. I think that the way they do it here in the conversation with Rocket, and then the conversations that she has with the inmates later on, I think it's all brilliant. Agreed. What I also love is that Rocket, who is seemingly the least trustworthy because you think he's just going to act in his own self-interest with his muscle behind him, 
he's the one who really does start to establish them as a found family because when the uh, the other inmate makes a pass at Quill, mm-hmm. he's just like, nope, he's with us. You're you're not getting anything. You're not getting near him. And he establishes that Quill is going to be protected by him and Groot. So even though they're still all at odds with each other, and even though Rocket's intention is to save Quill because he still wants to turn him in for the bounty, they are laying that groundwork for, nope, you're with me. Let's stick together. No matter what the outcome is going to be, they're at least going to get out of the situation together and with a prosthetic leg. I also love how we get an introduction for Drax because we don't know why Drax is in the prison. We just know that he's there and he's kind of like lingering in the background, observing everything. And when it comes time for the inmates to kill Gamora, that's when he intercepts. They all know who he is. They all know the legend of Drax the Destroyer. So again, for a character that is so mysterious and is sort of sitting in the back seat to start, I thought that we got a really, really completely fleshed out character right away. Agreed. Um, Thanos and Ronan meet, and Thanos threatens to kill Ronan if he can't get the orb. Quill, Gamora, Rocket, Groot, and Drax escape from the prison and flee to the lawless outpost nowhere. This is... This is the Thanos intro. We've heard his name. We haven't seen him. Well, we did, I believe, in an end credit scene. But Josh Brolin wasn't even cast yet. He was completely CGI. Josh Brolin might have voiced him at that point. Actually, no, I don't think he did yet. This is really the first that we've heard him, the first that we've seen him emote. Right. I mean... The intro is great, and again, I'm only speaking on behalf of you and I, who don't deep dive into the MCU comics and the source material the way that so many others do, if we only knew what he was going to become. Yeah, I remember seeing this in the theater with our friend, Pat Gessner, who has been on the show before, and he is really into the comics. He knew what was to come, Uh, so he was all about Thanos, but... Even without knowing, what I appreciate so much about this film is that they have such a great villain in Ronan. Even if you don't recognize Thanos as Big Bad yet, you don't need to see all of the other films to give this one context. Which is, I feel, something that is becoming more and more rare in the MCU, particularly with Doctor Strange and Wanda and all this Phase 4. You need to know and remember almost too much well that's it we went out to dinner with friends this week over at il molino and we were talking about doctor strange and the multiverse of madness and we had said that we'd seen it and they said that they are so far behind because they said admittedly we just don't have time they go if we want to watch one we got to watch three or four others they go and if we fall a couple behind it's almost impossible for them to catch up this was one of the last ones i think um, where you didn't have to see two or three other movies to get, you know, a, a total feel for what is going on. And I think that's just because as we get into these later phases of Marvel, you get less of the origin stories because so many of them were told to get to Endgame that I think that at this point we are... 
it I think we're going to hit a reset button soon. I think we're getting to a point where in the next two to three years, the sequels are done. And as they try to really expand the MCU, like with a Shang-Chi, right? Mm-hmm. Within Eternals, as awful as that movie was, you're going to start getting more origin stories as they expand the MCU out. I think you'll get it when they eventually do tackle Fantastic Four. X-Men, they might not do any origin stories because there's just so many of them. Those might be straight sequels, but I think with such a vast catalog of source material, I think that we're going to get back to being able to see a one-off without having to see three more previously. Right. Conversely, though, that is why I didn't love this movie the first time we saw it. Because without knowing the bigger context and where they were going with all of these Infinity Stones, that's why I walked out of the theaters and I was like, oh my God, here we go, chasing an orb again. Because we had just seen them chase a Tesseract for how many movies. So not knowing where that was all building, I did not appreciate it as much as I should have at first. And that was the dig that Sean talked before we start that Sean said before we started our review. And the incredible thing is sitting back now, as we are through that phase of the MCU, you forget that an introduction to Thanos. And I think the first time, if not the first time, it's one of the first times that an infinity stone gets referenced it's incredible how much they put on this film that they didn't put it into a film with a better-known character like a Spider-Man yes. or an Iron Man or a Thor. That they that they specifically chose Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, perhaps that's the source material, but you could have easily rewritten some source material to put to put it with Iron Man or to put it with Captain America. They chose to do it here. And I think that was the right call because whether the source material directed it that way or not, I think that as this movie comes together as a whole, it works for the worlds and the characters that they built here. I completely agree. And what's sort of surprising was that I don't recall them ever alluding to this in the trailer. No. Like you would think they'd want to reveal that big plot point just to market this movie of, you know, you need to see this one you need backstory, you need context on what these stones are. And I I love that they just let it stand on its own. Right. And I remember, and we'll move on in a moment here, I remember when this movie came out, it made a ton of money at the box office. It was a smash. Um, if you love the MCU, you went and saw it. If you love Marvel, you saw it. Obviously, if you're a Guardians fan, you saw it. If you're a ho-hum, I go see some of the superhero movies, a lot of those people that we know did not see this. And after this film, when everything really started to turn in the direction of Infinity War, um, they were very confused. And the same question got asked over and over again. Did you see Guardians of the Galaxy? No, I skipped it. This is the movie, it's the last, so that's the funny thing, right? It's the last film where you didn't need to see anything previously to understand context, but it was also the movie where if you didn't see it, anything that you saw after it didn't make any sense. Right, especially because you don't have the attachment to Gamora, you don't have the attachment to any of them in the snapping, and we lose, the Guardians lost the most Yeah, in the snapping. Right. 
Moving on, and in regards to the Infinity Stone specifically, on Nowhere, Drax and Rocket get drunk and gamble while Quill and Gamora separate to discuss how they're going to talk to Tavon, the Collector. When Tavon arrives, they do eventually speak to him, and he opens up the orb to show us the Power Stone, an Infinity Stone with great strength. Drax, meanwhile who is still intoxicated, calls for Ronan as he wants to kill him. He's done. He wants him gone. When Karina, Tavon's slave, grabs the stone, an explosion destroys Tavon's collection, and Gamora says the Nova Corps must be given the stone. Ronan and his men arrive, as does Yondu and the Ravagers, so Rocket, Quill, and Gamora attempt to escape with the orb. Ronan beats Drax and leaves him for dead while Gamora's ship is destroyed, sending her into space to die while Nebula recovers the stone for Ronan. Quill rescues Gamora and calls on Yondu to capture him in order to keep everyone alive because he knows as he gets captured, they're all going to be brought onto the ship with the Ravagers and back into oxygen and out of the zero gravity of space. Um, a lot happens here. And... I think what's brilliant about this scene is that it's a very good mix of comedy and drama, lightheartedness and very dark, fun and violent. Everything here sort of balances perfectly. It does, because story-wise, you're shaking things up quite a bit, but they do eventually land everything. Everyone's motivations are changing, like you said, with Drax calling Ronan he betrays them because he's using Gamora as the bait. That was the whole thing. He knows that Ronan wants her. So that's why he put this call out. Um, Then you sort of have Yondu. Well, not turning on Quill because he was always after him, but now you've given him a chance to catch up. Um, And, and all of that, you know, there's so much going on. You're almost distracted by it because the collector's layer is just the coolest set. I wish we could have spent more time in there. You could have spent more time in there if you had gone on mission breakout. <laughs> All right. Next time we go to DCA, I will at least walk through the queue. Um, yeah. The, the, he is incredible. Tavon is incredible. And so is the collection. Um, Howard the Duck, come on. Yeah. That's a great plant. And you have to be a child of a certain age to really appreciate that. I feel like you kind of need to be a person of a certain age to really love this movie, um, to really love it for what it is. Um, but references like Howard the Duck, for sure, are going to go over the heads of a lot of members of the younger audience. Um, what I love here, other than the origin of the Power Stone which they do a really good job fleshing out. The the movie is well-paced. It's totally well-paced. It's crazy to think about what we just discussed about how much of of the MCU was set up in this film, especially leading to Infinity War and Endgame. And the fact that this movie has a run hour under two hours and five minutes is pretty incredible, so the pacing is to be... Uh, commended. But as much as I love the origin story of the Power Stone, I love the fun and the drama of both Rocket and Drax back and forth, where they're having fun and then they're trying to kill each other. I mean, that's kind of Guardians in general throughout this entire film. In this entire origin story, they love each other, but they're also trying to kill each other at the same time. I also love this little moment of weakness for Rocket, where... uh, 
you know, he sort of starts beating himself up. I didn't ask to get made. I didn't ask to be like this. It's it's such a it it's not odd placement for the reveal because there is good balance. It is it's a heavy thing to reveal, so it's balanced by the comedy and then Quill calls him out for being drunk. But it's just a surprise that he feels that much about it because you are thinking, you know, especially because him and Groot are the team and Groot is a humanoid. You don't realize that they're going to feel that deeply. And with Groot, we see it much later on in, in one of the most like heartbreaking scenes ever. Um, but yeah, it's to your point, it's great that they placed it in here. And they balanced a heavy scene with the comedy, same way as they balanced the explanation of the Power Stone. I think if either Thanos or Ronan had explained why they wanted the stone in the bigger context, I think it would have been like a little bit of a snooze fest. But the way that they did it here, uh, just by virtue of being in the collector's lair and there's so much going on in the background that's that's keeping you interested in the scene and the way that he lays out the story. And we get to see it through the eyes of the protagonist that the thing that they are trying to protect, they're now going to have to switch gears in what they're going to do with it. I think that was far more effective than just seeing our villain try to chase it down. Agreed. I also think that Sort of to your point, it's the way that Tavon explains it. He's so theatrical, um, and he's such a cornball, and Rocket calls him out for it, Whitey. Um, <laughs> but you're right. You know, if, if Thanos or Ronan had fleshed it out, it would have been like, oh, the villain is telling us his evil plan. Exactly. And the MCU is not... There's no nice way to say it. They're better than that more yes, times than not. Yeah. Like, this is not like a 1960s, like, you know, uh, cheesy film where the villain is going to reveal his plan to everybody the way that it's parodied in Austin Powers. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's not pinky in the brain. No. And it's not like an overzealous Bond villain. You know what yes. I'm saying? It's not Spectre. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like where they do it. But again... When they do it, it's more in that Tavon theatrical sense. So it's corny enough, but it works. And I love that they leaned into it here. It's just, you're you're absolutely right. That is a testament to the MCU with just better writing, that you don't have a villain being heavy-handed saying, this is why I, as the antagonist, need this thing, need the MacGuffin for a plot point. Yeah, basically, it's here's my purpose. This is why I was written into the script. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Speaking of writing into the script, there is an incredible balance, again, in this entire sequence where you've got Gamora, like, fending off Quill and his pelvic sorcery (laughs) balanced against what was a very shocking line when... uh, when Drax is defeated and Rocket and Groot are with him and Rocket goes, oh, boo-hoo-hoo, my wife and child are dead. And Groot gasps. And we all kind of did because I'm. this is where I'm thinking the team's about to fall apart. Yes. And we're going to all separate and then we're going to all come back together to defeat the big bad. 
Incredibly, though, he says that to Drax and says one of the most simplest yet poignant lines, not just in the MCU, but in life in general. Yeah. Everybody's got dead people. It's like, it's such a powerful line that I think gets overlooked. And I think it takes what should have been this horrific moment and totally douses it out. Yeah, I mean, I think that really does speak to one of the bigger overall themes of the MCU is that you can experience loss, but you just have to keep going. You can't let it cripple you. Right. And I think that's the testament to the Guardians is to have that line that is such a thread through the entire uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe come from this little raccoon looking thing and just level all of us it's pretty remarkable right and again for what this is going to mean moving forward is incredible after the snapping happens what's also striking about this whole sequence before they get back onto or before quill sets up yondu to capture them right uh is how close he comes to losing gamora the first time i forget about that Right. How how he he, does sacrifice himself. He's willing to. Yeah, how he's totally willing to. Big moment for Peter Quill because Gamora at this point still has like no interest in him. And I'm not... The funny thing about this is I'm not even sure if he's romantically interested in her or not. They kind of tiptoe around it, but they never lean in one direction or the next. I agree. I mean, he's obviously lusting after her, but I wouldn't call this love yet. I mean, maybe it is because otherwise, why would he have made that sacrifice? Right. Uh, But I think, actually, I think what it is is much like how Rocket said something horrible to Drax and it's just like, okay, carry on. I think it's more about just needing each other to get through this. Correct. Um, Now... After we get away from this chaos, Ronan has possession of the stone and he stabs Thanos in the back because he grabs the stone to become the most powerful being in the universe in order to destroy Xandar. And that was the agreement was that Thanos would destroy Xandar in exchange for the stone. But Ronan now knows that if he's got the stone, he doesn't need Thanos. Nebula then pledges allegiance to Ronan, and she turns her back on Thanos. Yondu is set on killing Quill, but Peter convinces him to keep him alive so that they can get the stone from Ronan and sell it for a huge score. Rocket, Groot, and Drax arrive to save Quill and Gamora, but... They tell them that they plan to use the Ravenger army to save Xandar despite the odds against them. And so obviously there's no rescue needed now because they're going to work with the Ravengers. Um, This to me is a massive moment for the MCU for two reasons. Number one, there is a time, and most people forget about it, where Ronan is the most powerful being in the universe, more powerful than Thanos. True. Everybody forget. I I would. I think everybody forgets that that happened. Yeah. I. The more we talk about it, the more everyone, myself included, is sleeping on Ronan. The other thing is that this is where 
the five of them together, even before they are referenced as such, to me, this is where the five of them become the Guardians of the Galaxy. And this is a major, major moment for not just the MCU in terms of what this means with the Infinity Wars, but how this changed the MCU. If this movie would have flopped, they would have, of course, continued. And they would have made the rest of the films because they would have gotten us to Infinity War and Endgame. But you see now Cherry Bomb, the song Cherry Bomb is used here. The entire soundtrack is outstanding. And you see now how a lot of the other films that came after this because this was such a success, they're starting to lean into very similar soundtracks. They're starting to lean into very similar tones where they're getting away from the dark and ominous and they're trying to like do a lot more of the funny Thor specifically they're doing this with. Yes. Um, they kind of lean into it too with Captain Marvel. If this movie had not been the success that it was, the MCU would look and feel completely different. I think you're absolutely right. That's a great point that I didn't even think about. I'm just sitting there, you know, jamming out to a great song. And I I love how it was used. I go back and forth, though. Is this the best place song on the soundtrack? It's very tough. You've got Quill's intro with Come and Get Your Love. You've got Hooked on a Feeling when they're in prison, which we completely glossed over are bad uh, because that's brilliant, too. But I don't know. There's just something so effective about Cherry Bomb here. Yeah, because Cherry Bomb is is a rebellious sort of rock yeah. song anyway. So you've got these five rebellious characters that come together. It may just be the best placed. Yeah, no, and it balances it perfectly because they're talking about how, and I, I love this line too, because they're all going through what they've either lost or what they've had to do to get to this point. And some of those things may have not been the most moral decisions that they could have made. Uh, But Gamora says with everything that I've been through, instead of dying at the hands of her enemies, she'd rather die with her friends. This is the moment that they become a chosen family. Yeah. And I think because that is so emotional and one of the deeper moments of this film, that's why uh, they sort of make it pop with this song and lighten, lighten the scene a little bit. Yeah. It's a huge character moment because you have what are of the five of them, four of them are incredibly selfish characters that become incredibly selfless characters all at the same time with the Nova Corps notified that, Ronan is coming. They head to Xandar to stop him. The Ravagers and Nova Corps attack uh, Ronan's ship and try to contain his men while Quill, Gamora, Groot, and Drax pursue Ronan and the stone. Ronan uses the stone to destroy most of the Nova Corps and Ravagers while Gamora fights Nebula. They reach Ronan, who, with the stone, is borderline invincible, but Rocket flies the Milano Quill's ship directly into Ronan's ship, sending it into a freefall. Groot then sacrifices himself to save the others because we are Groot. It's amazing how this is one of the longer battle sequences that goes on for, I would say, like 
15 minutes this scene maybe you were able to just sum up that quickly because there's so much going on here uh starting with getting Novacore to believe that their plan is the best one uh i love john c riley's delivery I and love, I quote. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I totally believe that that is something that Quill would do. I just wish we had seen it and not heard about it after the fact. It's I'm okay hearing about it after the fact because I love listening to John C. Riley. I love listening to him recite it back to Glenn Close. I do too. But I kind of wish we had gotten to see that moment of, of Quill telling him. I can live without it. It it would have been funny, but it wouldn't, for me personally, it wouldn't have done anything more for the film. Yeah, I mean, I I guess what I'm surprised at is that they they let the funny Trump show not tell. Right. And, you know, you mentioned it before. It's a 15-minute sequence that I summed up so quickly, and I think that is because as epic as the battle is, it's not unlike anything that we've seen in the MCU otherwise. You know, you see just so many of these epic, like, mass destruction scenes. After you've seen the first Avengers movie and they destroy Manhattan, um, this, it's good. It's just another battle, though. Well, I think the biggest difference is because in the Avengers they are all working together in the moment. And especially, you know, you had to have that one shot of the six of them. It's iconic where Iron Man is flying and the rest of them are on the ground below him and they they circle them with a the camera. And it's beautiful and it's amazing. And I'm not taking away from that moment. Rogers the musical did enough of that, Lord knows. <laughs> yeah. um, but here... Yes, they are a team, but all of these characters are very much every man or woman for themselves. And because this cast is so large, not just with the Guardians, but you've also got Yondu having a stake in it. You've got Novacore characters having a stake in it. Uh, and they are in individual ships. It, I don't want to say drags on, but it is spread out more because you have so many individual battles going on. Actually, what I would liken this to more than anything else in the MCU is a Star Wars film because you've got yes. all your mad major characters fighting, but some of them are by themselves. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, but in, in this case, uh, I love how Novacore locks in to form this net over Ronan's ship. I think that is so beautiful. It is one of the most stunning things the MCU has ever done. Uh I love Yondu left to his own device. You think he's out for the count, but he's got his arrow and he is fine taking on like 10 baddies by himself. Um, I, I love this little last minute relationship that Rocket forms with Saul from Novacore. Yeah. Uh, th there's just so many great little moments happening in this battle. Yeah. And the highlight, of course, is the amazing moment with We Are Groot. You know, it's it's one of those things that when when it happened, I remember thinking to myself, these are characters I knew nothing about coming in. These are characters, if I'm being honest, I really didn't care that much about coming in. And at the same time, 
my heart is shattering because I know that Groot is going to die. Yes. It carried that much weight, which is a testament to the acting and the direction and the screenwriting that got us to this point. Yeah, another thing that's going on in this scene before we get to We Are Groot yeah. and and the final dance-off, um, something that I think is sort of forgotten about in in the bigger context, especially when you're thinking about Endgame, uh, Nebula has been flip-flopping since day one. Yeah. And um, I was actually, this the second time we watched it through, I was really trying to pay attention because... Um, and and this is something I'm going to be looking out for when we do uh, the second Guardians next week, um, is how much her and Gamora's relationship actually does progress. Because from here, and thinking about it in Endgame, even though we are dealing with uh, time travel, yeah, it doesn't feel like it's grown that much. It's very one-dimensional, right? It's like... It, it doesn't plateau because it, at this point it hasn't really gone anywhere. Right. And in the second one, you know, obviously we're going to discuss that next week. She sort of becomes that Barbosa character. You couldn't trust her, but then you need to team up with her in the next one to get through the situation. Uh, but I was sitting here watching this and I was like, wow, this is very similar to Endgame where you don't know if you can trust her. And just when you think she does the right thing, she doesn't. Right. Right. Um, and she's... Barbosa is a great comparison because not only is she the villain that you have to learn to trust, but you do never really know whether you can trust her or not because she's just really all about being on the side of who's winning at the time that they're winning. Yeah, it's, I think she's going to annoy me next week, which <laughs> she didn't because I, I always thought she was such a cool looking character. Uh, and I liked that we learned to trust her in the second one, but now knowing how her story plays out in Endgame, I think I'm just going to find her annoying. We'll see. We'll, we'll see next week. From the wreckage of the ship emerges Quill, Gamora, Drax, Rocket, pieces of Groot, and Ronan. As Quill's mixtape plays, he challenges Ronan to a dance-off as a distraction. His hammer is destroyed. The Infinity Stone is exposed. Quill grabs it, and then Gamora grabs Quill, and then Drax grabs Gamora, and then Rocket grabs Drax, and using their willpower and their abilities and their bond, they are able to harness the energy of the Power Stone. They kill Ronan. They have now freed Xandar from the threat of Ronan as a thanks the Nova Corps have rebuilt the Milano. Baby Groot is now in his little, you know, potted plant whatever he's in his little he is a potted plant he is a potted plant now um their charges are dropped and quill opens the gift that his mother gave him which was a new mixtape that she had made for him before he passed away um, before she passed away what did i say he oh yeah before she passed away you know why i said he because i'm thinking about his father in yes. the second movie because he also gets referenced here at the end. Right. Um, the, the, a lot of things happen here at the end of this movie. Um, I love that the term Guardians of the Galaxy was not meant, at least in the context of this film, initially as a title bestowed upon them for their bravery. It was an insult that they 
that they took and they harnessed. Yes. I thought that that was great. It's so on brand for them, right? To yeah. take to take something that was meant as a as a diss really and and run with it. That's what these characters are. Right. Um dialing it back to the beginning of the end here. Yeah. I still go back and forth with this dance off distraction. Uh when we first saw this, I didn't like it at all. I thought it was a cheap cop out. Um the more times I watch it though, the more I do appreciate that it is very fitting for the character because he is a child of both worlds and this is what he knows and the more um you know, the more times you watch it, the more references you pick up on like Kevin Bacon or um you know, he's referencing all these classic 80s movies. So like that is what he would do in that situation. He would draw from something that he knows that he grew up with. So it is a great character moment only made better by the gag reel. If you've not seen it, go check it out. Everybody's dancing. It's a pretty epic battle. Yeah. The other thing that I love about this finale here, um, and maybe more in retrospect than I did the first time, in spite of the fact that I really liked how the movie finished the first time. Um, I love that you get, again, the plant about Quill's father. Yes. Yondu saying, I'm glad we didn't retrieve him and bring him like we were supposed to, because they said that guy was a jackass. And of course, that's going to play out in the second film especially when it when you flesh out the relationship, the very complicated relationship that Yondu has with Peter. Um, I love that. The other thing that I really like here is when Peter grabs the Infinity Stone and Gamora says, take my hand, because she knows that they need more of them. The callback. The callback, but the thing is, See, they did it really well because it could have been really cheesy. It could have been Martha, right, from from Superman versus Batman. But Martha, it is not because they pulled it off. Yes. It works perfectly because it's not overly cheesy. It works with where they planted it. It works how they planted it. You could have easily fallen over the line, tripped over the line, but they held the line. And I think that that's very much, and it's not, it's not a compliment, it is a compliment to the cast, but I think it's more a compliment to James Gunn and his direction. Agreed, because this is the first time they do it. What I was actually thinking of is we had recently done a Dexter rewatch. And what you don't realize the first time is how many times they cut back to him sitting in a pool of blood. I think if Peter had this flashback through the entire movie, it would not have been as effective as it is to just see the one time where, you know, he's in this moment and he knows he can't screw up this time. He has to take her hand. Um, No, I, I love the moment for the four of them. I wish Groot could have been a part of it to show that they really are a team, but I don't think the movie is as effective if you don't see Groot make that sacrifice and they don't have as much of a motivation to keep pushing forward because they saw what Groot sacrificed. So now they know it's their turn and they've all already agreed to die for the cause. So they think that's what they're doing and they're going to go out together. Um, No, it's, it's an incredible scene. And to touch on what you said about um, the reference to Quill's dad, 
the way that Yondu delivers that line, I always thought that they were referencing bringing him back to the stepfather on Earth. And you could totally play it off that way. You have no idea what's coming. Let's move on and talk about the cast now, starting with Chris Pratt as Peter Quill slash Star-Lord. To me, he is a, he's a casting choice that I can't recast in my own mind. You know, like, I think there are certain people in the MCU... I mean, we saw Mark Ruffalo was not the original casting choice for the Hulk, obviously, um, and he fit in perfectly. But in the same way that I can't picture anybody else as Tony Stark or even Captain America, I can't picture anyone else as Star-Lord either. I would agree. Um, You know, it's funny how many Chris's there are in the MCU, and this one totally steals the show, stands on his own. But you have to, right? Because this cast is so stacked, Yeah, you can't have him get buried among all this star power, and he certainly doesn't. I mean, from the moment he is dancing on Morag and kicking the geckos and or whatever they are, yeah. uh, I was just instantly hooked, and he keeps getting better and better and better. And what really impressed me, I remember, even though... You know, as you outed me, I didn't love this the first time around. Right. What I did love was that he managed to bring his own brand of snark and sarcasm without ripping off of Tony. Yeah, because I think it would be very easy for him to teeter over the line. And you're right. He didn't do that at all. Yeah. Or it would feel like they were, you know, sort of too much the same character. And he totally managed to separate the two, which is very impressive considering the long line of Marvel movies that this followed. Yeah, Zoe Zaldana plays Gamora, and I only knew her than this from Avatar. So it's funny that in both instances, in Avatar, she's computer-generated. Here, she's completely covered in makeup and unrecognizable. But what I love about what she brings to Gamora is the transition. You, and the way that you see her and how ruthless she is in the very beginning of the movie and how lighthearted and funny she becomes by the end of the movie, still stern, but lighthearted and funny. And obviously, by the time we get to the second film, everything goes out the window. But I thought that she was really good in the role as well. Clearly, you've never seen Center Stage. I th- yeah, no, I've think never that might have been Center her first Stage. movie. Uh, but people forget about it and people seriously underestimate how talented she is because that was a ballet film. And, you know, she was kind of like the tough chick antagonist in that. So uh, I can certainly see where that translated for her to be a character as tough as Gamora. Uh, But to your point, she balances it so well, not just with the lighthearted comedy, uh, but the vulnerability that she has to bring to this role when it comes to, you know, everyone's sort of... uh, assuming the worst about her because she is tied in with Ronan and Thanos. She is the daughter of Thanos. And uh, you can tell that really bothers her. And I, I think Zoe Saldana did a great job of of just giving her that softened quality uh, because she does have something to prove in that regard. Right. Dave Batista plays Drax. I love Dave Batista because I remember watching Dave Batista wrestle in the WWE, like right on the tail end of, you know, 
where my WWE fandom sort of ended. Um, but I remember him there and the superstar that he became. He's so incredibly funny and he loves this role so much that this is another one that I probably couldn't recast at all. Um, I don't have the same attachment to Dave Batista that you do, not being a wrestling fan, but he's sort of on par with The Rock, N- not having as many roles as The Rock has at this point, but just in terms of being able to translate the career over to acting. And Dave Batista just understood the assignment. As you said, he loves the character. It shines right through, but he is so funny. This is a tough brand of comedy to crack and he absolutely nails it and I want to talk a little bit about the character design because this was something that was really impressive to me I thought that he was wearing a bodysuit and all of the scars were sort of stitched in and raised off the suit no that's a makeup application that blew my mind. I mean, all of it. We haven't really talked about that. Uh, we mentioned how incredible the CGI is, not just with the sets, but obviously like characters. You, it had to be with characters like Rocket and Groot. Um, but equally as impressive is the makeup. Gamora's makeup is absolutely stunning. Um, I, I love the green. I love the flecks of silver in her face. Uh, I love her whole aesthetic, the hair, the outfit, just everything about her. Um, and and it's even better with Drax. Yeah, it's. I thought the same thing. Maybe not that it was a full body suit, but maybe that he was wearing some sort of like a spandex or something. Because you right. know that like Dave Batiste is a big guy. But to see that he would spend four hours in that makeup chair and he'd have to hold his arms up the whole time and the best they could do is give him like two sticks with tennis balls on them just so that he'd have something to lean on like that and then he has to go to set for how many hours and he couldn't sit down Ugh. he was not allowed to sit down that's dedication um talking about somebody who understood the assignment let's talk about Bradley Cooper Bradley Cooper voicing Rocket if you didn't tell me it was Bradley Cooper I would have no idea that it was Bradley Cooper Agreed. He is such a huge talent, and this is no exception. Just every role, he's incredible. And this is probably, well, I do love A Star is Born, but, and, and The Hangover, but this is probably my favorite Bradley Cooper role. I really want to see the footage release of him in the, in the uh, recording booth. And just see him really go for it. There's a little bit on Disney Plus, if you go into the extra features of Guardians of the Galaxy, um, there's just a tiny snippet of it, but it's not enough. I I just want to see like the whole performance full out. Um, And as far as the character, I love Rocket. He is probably my favorite Guardian. Uh, Not at all what I was expecting, but he just gets better and better in every single film, especially when he's teaming up with Thor. Yeah. Vin Diesel plays Groot, and it's funny because Vin Diesel really only has two lines in the entire movie, but he took it so seriously. And I got to be honest with you, the way that Vin Diesel emotes and the different inflections that he uses in the, the line, I am Groot, 
he gives the character so much life. I mean, the character says what? We are Groot, I am Bra-. He says five words the entire movie. For Vin Diesel, or for any actor, to give a character, a CGI character, so much life in five words over the course of a two-hour movie is absolutely incredible. He knocked it out of the park. I completely agree. I was really surprised and impressed how much he carried through that. I mean, I'm I'm not... I've seen the Fast and the Furious movies. I'm not, like, a huge fan, but I really didn't think that tough guy character was going to translate into something that had to be so emotional, and it really worked. And... I just love Groot. I love the design. I love how he keeps changing, how there's a different kind of Groot as the Guardians movies progress, as the Avengers progress with the Guardians in them. Uh, I I love, I, I'm so happy that we never lose this character. When When my father saw this movie for the first time, <laughs> his review was, that was really good. I'm happy the tree lived. And I think that we all feel the same way. We're happy that Groot made it. We are Groot. We are Groot. Lee Pace plays Ronan the Accuser. And, I mean, what else can you say? I've said it a few times. Ronan is a great villain. Uh, the casting was great. I just wish that he didn't take a back seat to Thanos. But... Given what the epic conclusion of this phase of the MCU was, it's impossible to not take a backseat to Thanos, whether that's justified or not. Agreed. I hate that he's standing in the shadow because Ronan is a great villain. But the performance, too. I know everybody gives Josh Brolin so much credit, and they should, but the performance was incredible. It was maniacal. It really was. A lot of it... You know, there there's not much to do physically here because a lot of the time he's either in a chair or just standing and not really doing too much. Uh, you know, there's not... He doesn't get down in the dance battle. Right. Um, and his makeup is so heavy, there's not even a lot he can do with his face. So all of it had to be in the voice and the projection and he, he knocks it out of the park. Michael Rooker as Yondu. Oh my God goodness we've been going on for so long with this episode and it's just going to get longer because i i can't say enough great things about michael rooker i mean where we've been fans and small rats yep uh that only father <laughs> that only grew with walking dead and uh he's he's just absolutely incredible he was so perfect for this role you can absolutely tell he was having some fun with it and I love the design of this character. Uh, I love the coloring. I love his mohawk. uh, And I just love the concept with the arrow. I I think it's so cool. Yes. And I'm glad that nobody in this film had to offer him a chocolate-covered pretzel. (laughs) Karen Gillan plays Nebula. And I think she was good here. She's better in the sequel. She's better in the later Avengers films. Um, I wish they would have taken a little bit more time to flesh her out here, um, but I suppose they do that in the sequel. They do it in Infinity War. They do it in Endgame. Um, But for what she is in this film, I really like the character and I like the actress. Same. And another absolutely incredible makeup. 
Yeah, for sure. Glenn Close plays Nova Prime. Um, I kind of forget that she's in this movie um, because she's not in it for very long, but she's Glenn Close and she's good in everything. Oh, I don't think she's forgettable at all. I love that she got such an important role in the MCU. And it's not a surprise that she would take on something like this because we've seen her do Cruella in the live action 101 Dalmatians, separate from obviously Emma Stone's Cruella. Right. Uh, And that was such a different take on the character. She was a lot more zany, a lot more over the top. So I don't think that this was a total stretch to get her in a Marvel film. Uh, but I, I definitely think she had some fun with this part. And I, I think she she plays that sense of authority really well. She actually reminds me, maybe I'm completely out of bounds here, but she, remi- she reminds me of Carrie Fisher in uh, Star Wars. The later Star Wars. Yeah. Um, sort of that maternal leader, right? More, more when she's the general, yeah. Right. Uh, John C. Riley plays Roman Day. Uh, the only problem I have with this character is we didn't get enough of him. Yes. But the thing is, with so many characters and so little screen time, it's almost impossible that he was going to get more. Um, but I would like to see more of him as we delve into the Guardians a little bit further. Agreed. But that's not to say that he's not fully fleshed out because you do get to see you know, at the end after they save the day and right before the credits roll, they sort of give everybody their little moment to tie everything up in a bow. And we see that two of the characters, a mother and daughter that they were tracking in the battle uh, are actually his family. We see him walk in the door and go home to them. So I thought that was a nice little moment. Uh, It does flesh him out. And I completely agree. There's just not enough screen time for John C. Riley. Find somebody who doesn't like John C. Riley. Yeah, and I'll find you a liar. liar. Benicio Del Toro plays Tavon the Collector. I could just watch Tavon like open a pack of baseball cards all day. <laughs> this character is absolutely outstanding. I hope in this era of spinoffs on Disney Plus, I would love to see shorts with the Collector. Like they did the Olaf shorts. Like just let him go. Let Benicio Del Toro go. Let me ask you, I wasn't even going to necessarily bring this uh, this cast member up, but I have to. Sean Gunn plays yes. Kraglin. He's Yondu's first mate. He was also a stand-in for Thanos, and he was a stand-in for Rocket. Right. Um, first off, I like him as a first mate. He's funny. He's good comic relief. Would you want to see more of him as he tries to... Well, I'm not going to bury... I'm not going to bury the lead in the next movie, but... The role that he's trying to assume in the MCU now, would you want to see a spinoff with him, perhaps a Ravager series on Disney Plus? Uh, well, again, not not to get too much into the next film. No, if it doesn't have Yondu, I don't want it. If they did a prequel, like a backstory, yes, I'm all about it. Uh, and that's that's not to throw shade at Sean Gunn because... I'm a huge Gilmore Girls fan. That's the role that I know him in was Kirk. Uh, so obviously, you know, is he a great actor? He's good. His brother threw him this one, clearly. Um, because I think his work 
standing in for Rocket and Thanos was better than his actual on-screen role. That's not to say he's bad or anything. I just don't know that he gets this role if his brother's not directing. Fair enough. Final thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy. I was very, very wrong the first time I saw this, and I'm sorry. Yeah, this has become one of my favorite MCU films. It's become one of my favorite films, period. It gets better and better every time I watch it. I can't wait to get on Cosmic Rewind. And I'm excited to see them again. But at the same time, I'm not in any rush to get to the third movie because once it's over, they're done. Um, well, you are going to get a little taste in Thor. So that that should hold you over. But I, I agree. I don't want this to be over. No, neither do I. But we want to know what you have to say about the Guardians of the Galaxy. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up as well as a contest winner, but first a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News this week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Design. If you are looking for media kits, graphic design, branding, Kelly has you covered. Her work is spectacular. Plus, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Be sure to see everything that she has to offer at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. That's Karma, the letter N, KismetDesigns.com. Let's get to some news here. Um, Disney Plus as an ad-supported app, is coming. It is going to be offered as a quote-unquote cheaper version. Now, does that mean that it's going to be less than $7.99 a month? Or does that mean that $7.99 a month becomes ad-supported and they bump up the non-ad-supported to you know, or the non-ad version to $9.99 a month? That's what I think eventually is going to happen. Um... But uh, the thing with Disney Plus is that it's still affordable at $7.99 a month, although it did come up a a whole dollar from its launch day. But what I don't want to see, and I think that it is inevitable, is the day that Disney Plus without ads is 15 bucks bucks a month. We're going to see that day. I just hope it's not for a while. Well, that really is the bigger conversation here, right? Is all of these streaming services have an ad-supported option now. And I guess that's going to be the way of the world eventually is these services are going for $15 or whatever it is. Right. Uh, And the answer is going to be if you don't want to pay that, then do the ad-supported one and sit through the commercials. I think you're right, though. I think in this JPEG era, instead of keeping the cost low and adding the ad-supported one at a lesser cost, I think they're going to make that the ad-supported, make the $7.99 the uh, ad-supported price point and then bump up the cost that's ad-free, especially because... 
a certain someone didn't say too much at the upfronts about it today. Yeah, well, apparently there will be less of four minutes of ads per hour, and if it is a child's account, it will be ad-free. Now, we'll see how long that lasts before people just start children's accounts, albeit <laughs> they, can't, they can't get everything. But if I wanted to be on the lower cost and I wanted to watch Pinocchio and not have to pay for ads, then... I'll just create a child's account. You know what I'm saying? Like, people are going to figure out the workaround. Yeah, it's the equivalent of sharing a password. Exactly. Um, we also got first looks for Disenchanted and Echo. They're pictures of people in costumes on set. This this stuff, to me, doesn't really get me all that jacked up. If it was the first time we were seeing Fantastic Four, I'd get a little excited. If it were the first time we were seeing... You know, Johnny Depp is Jack Sparrow again, and we hope that that day comes. We had a whole conversation about that on our Doc Side chat as well. Maybe I'd get excited. But these, unless I'm getting footage, these first look still photos, they never really do it for me. Um, I disagree. I think, especially when it comes to the MCU, when you're seeing a costume, um, especially for something like Spider-Man, how many iterations of that costume there are, I think the first look is a really big deal. In the case of Disenchanted, though, that one actually intrigued me because we do have a new character played by Maya Rudolph. Uh, but even Giselle, Giselle sort of looks like she's taken on more of like the stereotypical stepmother. Like her hair is up. She She's reminding me of Lady Tremaine, actually, in this photo. Uh, so I'm really interested to see where they take the character. And that's the whole point of a first look is to pique your interest. We also got a first look at some concept art for the newest Pixar film set to come out in 2023, Elemental. I'm getting some major, major Inside Out vibes from this. I totally agree. It's reading Inside Out, not just in the aesthetic, but the premise of the film is that it's all, it's all four elements and they are each in their own world where I would guess a quadrant because there's four of them and two of the characters leave their world and, and team up and they discover new things about each other. And I definitely think it's going to be reminiscent of Inside Out, but I think this one is going to have more themes of inclusivity. Uh, I think they're probably going to go for a, a positive message about looking past a stereotype um, and and touching on broader themes like that, which I think is really relevant. Um, and, you know, they're going to do it in a fun, heartwarming way, and they're probably going to make us cry. They're I'm all do for it. it. They're going to do it the Pixar way. Yes. She-Hulk. We got the trailer for She-Hulk. Attorney at law. It's, it looks hysterical. It really does. And I just love the title. It's like so 90s to me. It's It just so fits this style of comedy in the MCU that, that movies like Guardians have opened the door for. No, and it's not just a physically strong female. Um, some of the, the comedy in her lines, um, like they're really going for it. Like in Hawkeye, I feel like Haley Steinfeld is really holding her own up against Hawkeye, but we haven't seen 
really a female character like this that's so outspoken. And that was something that was really exciting to me because we're not just seeing females get all these great roles in the MCU like Wanda getting her own show or Black Widow getting her own movie or now Natalie Portman being Lady Thor. We're actually seeing dialogue and and the physical role being equal to what all of the guys do in the MCU. Yeah, I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be really good. And we want to know what you have to say about any of this Disney news. If you're excited for any of these films, for any of these series, you can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Okay, let's finally announce a winner in our latest giveaway. Yes, for our May the 4th episode, we have a Grogu Funko complete with milk and cookies, blue milk and cookies. Yep. Uh, we have a really cool straw charm from Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Uh, it is a pink Darth Vader and, of course, a monoreal t-shirt. And thank you for everybody or thank you to everyone who entered to win the contest. Our winner for this month's contest is Matt Sariola. So, Matt, we will get in contact with you to get your address and get that package sent to you. If you did not win, don't fret because we will have another giveaway in just a couple of weeks. So make sure to keep an eye on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Monoreal Radio for your chance to win. And of course, we always announce on the show when we have a new contest. So I just gave you that social media. We are also on TikTok at Monoreal Radio. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on the show. We've given you the email address a couple of times. Make sure that you like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. And for links to everything related to the show, it is online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.